You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Welcome family, friends, fans, and foes. It's time once again for Never Sleeps Network's Talking Wrestling. And I'm your host, Casey Corbin, and thank you for joining us today on this podcast. Oh, before we get to the podcast, you know what you got to do? Hit us up on all those social media outlets. If you could do that, we are at Twitter at TNWPod. On Instagram, we are Talking Wrestling Podcast at Instagram. Uh, on the Facebook, we are Facebook backslash Talking Wrestling. Uh, you want to send us a Gmail? We'd love to hear what you think of the show. Send us a Gmail uh, to TalkingWrestling at gmail.com. Not only that, find us on Spotify and uh, we will be there uh, under Talking Wrestling Podcast. Not only that, we are also on iTunes. So rate, review, subscribe, give us a five star rating, favorable review, and we would appreciate it. And give you a shout out on the show. So please do that. Please subscribe. Five stars. Good review. Helps the show grow a lot. All right. You guys. uh, I'm excited to have a show today. I'm excited to have a guest. uh, Jordan uh, Horth. It will be joining us in a few minutes time. So, uh, you know, stand by and uh, and have fun. I don't know. He's standing by on the uh on the Zoom right now. So we're going to go to him and uh, we're going to pick this up on the Zoom. So Casey Corbin, go ahead and uh, start that interview. Zoom away. Zoom, zoom. All I want to do is baby zoom, 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 baby zoom, zoom. Yo, check your podcast. All right, folks. As promised with me at this time, a uh, very funny uh, gentleman, comedian I've known for several years, hasn't been on the show, but we've always, uh, he's been on the list to be on the show forever. And I finally got him in today. Uh, Jordan Hoth, thanks for joining us on the show. How are you doing today, bud? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on. Hey, it's uh, it's great to have you. Uh, under the circumstances, I this is um, I woke up this morning, and uh, your and I opened up Facebook as I usually do because I don't have a newspaper, and uh, the first thing I saw was your post uh, regarding Pat Patterson, and the first thing I thought is, oh, this is terrible. Pat Patterson has passed away and and it's just like you haven't heard from anything from him recently so you usually when the celebrity disappears you know that time's about to come but yeah. it never hit me like and I was just so sad that 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 he passed away and then I was like oh like you know I usually feel that when most of the celebrities pass away that I admire but um there's also Whenever a celebrity dies, if you have a picture with that celebrity, that's a day to uh, strengthen right. your social media numbers. And yeah. I was like, <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, I've got a picture of Pat Patterson and I. This is going to be a good day for my socials. <laughs> so today, so right while the iron's hot, exactly. And uh, over a hundred responses today on Pat Patterson's death on my Instagram and Facebook. Um, just to show you how much people care, 
I don't know if they care about me or Pat, but I say it's all Pat, whether they know him or not. I wrote a nice little thing about him, as did you, uh, hitting them, you know, some of the major things that he's done. And uh, he's always been entertaining to to me. Um, so, so anyway, I just thought after reading yours and seeing the pictures you posted, I was like, oh, this is perfect. And I'll just get Jordan on the show and we can talk about Pat Patterson for a bit. And we can talk about regular wrestling for a bit. And, you know, and that, that's basically the show. So uh, nothing spectacular, it. but it's just nice and easy. But um, so before we get into Pat, uh, which is, you know, if we were a horrible show, we could do a lot of gay jokes just right there before we get into Pat. But you know what? Um, I don't really like it's the today's the thing about and before we get to Pat. Now we're getting right into it. But the thing about Pat <laughs> is, is um, he was you know he was out his entire career amongst the boys, and yet right. he was still accepted as one of the boys, and everybody loved him. And you th- you would think that that would be a very tough time, being not only being um, just not only being uh, a gay man, but a great a gay French man, an immigrant. You know, yeah. who who's down there trying to portray himself as from California when the accent says clearly says French, you know, and uh, I just the struggles that he must have had at first, but he always had his companion with him. So I think that's why he was accepted so easily, because he wasn't going to go after you in the showers if his boyfriend is out in the hall waiting or whatever. You know, and I think most of the guys knew his boyfriend as well. Uh, uh, Louis uh, was his name, and yeah. uh, and I just think that might have made things easier for him. Um, you know, but it was funny when the WWE, which kept it fairly quiet, not that it has to be quiet. It's nobody's business. Nobody's sexuality is, and uh, but yet when it came time to expose it for ratings, they did it during. Uh, they jur- they did it during the uh that what was it house of champions what was uh, it legends house, the yeah. legends house yes yeah, the big moment the big moment is him breaking down to a room full of wrestlers who've known their entire existence right that, that, hacksaw has to pretend to be surprised yeah and hacksaw's <laughs> acting is limited i don't Very. know if, i don't know if you've ever seen the SummerSlam where he's looking for sapphire but i'm not convinced he was really looking Hacksaw, have you seen Sweet Sapphire? <laughs> <Yes>. Still looking, <laughs> Dust. Still looking. <laughs> I feel so bad. Can we just take a sidebar to talk about poor Duggan? Because not enough people know Duggan is a great wrestler from Mid-South. Yes. And if all they know is, is WWF Duggan, Jesus, they're missing out. You know what, though? You can talk to, like, I've uh, worked with Jim about three times. And he's a delight. I was never a Jim Duggan fan because I did not like WWF Jim Duggan. But when yep. you discover Mid-South uh, Jim Duggan, uh, right. Jim Duggan is one hell of a wrestler and, yep. and just a guy that you do not want to mess with. And, uh, you know, so... Where's the hell of a tuxedo? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but the thing about Jim is... is, is uh, is his hands are so big and he was just like such a but when he got to wwe it was like putting it on autopilot he didn't have to it was like the like can you imagine what it would be like if you if you're the sheep herders 
and you get signed to the WWE, and they're like, oh, no, no, no. We don't want you to be killers anymore. We want you to be clowns. Yeah, right. we, this is... The, the, the worst thing you guys are going to do is eat sardines before matches. That's it. You're going to lick a kid, eat sardines. Not only You're that. You're not going to kill any Fantastics. Uh, I know of someone who has been licked by, this, by, the, by, the, head, by the Bushwhackers. Whoa. Okay, Whoa. are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? This is the name drop. Ben Miner. Oh, my God. That's, why has he never told me that? I don't That's know. incredible. He has been licked. He was ringside, and he got licked by the headbangers. I mean, the bushwhackers. And he got he, whacked. And he even told me their breasts smelled like f- rotten fish. And I said to Ben, I'm like, Ben, they used to eat sardines before they went to the ring because they knew they were going to lick kids' heads like yours. And he yeah. could not believe that they did oh, that they on purpose. Oh, they licked the gimmick. Yeah. Yeah, so funny, so funny. <laughs> but next time you see Ben, uh, mention to him about the 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 yeah that incident because he uh, he will talk about it. So you froze up on me. I'm gonna wait till you come back. I know you're there. So just I'm just holding on. These are the problems with the Zoom technology. But there you're back. You're back. You're there. Froze. That's all right. It's uh, you know what? I used to watch Max Headroom all the time when I was in the '80s. And he would free, and I didn't get by. I wasn't bothered by it. I'm patient. So, um, yeah. So, when did you start watching wrestling, and how did you get into wrestling? What is your wrestling origin story? Ah, I it's it's pretty clear to me. Um, it was the main event, uh, February '88. February fifth. Uh, versus Andre. Yeah. It was, it was it was the twin referee match. How old um, how old were you how old were you when you watched that? I was seven. Okay, awesome. I was like twelve, thirteen, no, maybe no, maybe fourteen or fifteen actually. Okay. But it was wow. a but it was a big night. It was a big night. Yeah. It was huge. And my dad had taken me to see um uh a WWF show a little while ago, a, a couple of months before that, and there was one where Dynamite Kid had busted his back. Um, but I wasn't really into it, I guess, at the time. But he put that on, and like the twin referees, it just yeah. blew my mind. And that got me like, okay, so this Hogan guy, he's incredible. These guys have just stolen the title from him. He's a giant. I was just in. It was everything. And I sort of knew Hogan and Andre as pulp culture figures. Yeah. But I wasn't into wrestling until that moment. Um, and that was sort of the catalyst. And then my, my dad was like, okay, I'm taking him to see Mania 4. He's in. And I remember going to Mania 4 being jacked for Hogan. That was the guy I knew. I'd watched that show. And maybe 20 minutes in, I was done with Hogan. Really? Uh, the, first, the first moment I saw Macho Man. Oh, oh yes, it was, okay. It was over. It was that he was my first favorite wrestler, and I'm like, he's wrestling three times. He's got three outfits. He's got this lady, and he's winning. He just keeps like the whole night. He keeps winning no matter what. And that that one night, I mean, I I know Mania Four gets a lot of guff. It was a long show, bit of a slog to get through, but by the end of it, I'm like, Macho Man is the greatest wrestler there's ever been. So you know, that, that's what it I love Macho Man. I love WrestleMania 4 for the tournament, for Macho Man specifically. Um, after listening to Rick Steamboat, uh, I'm not happy that the fact that they, that 
Steamboat and Macho should have met in that tournament because there yes. should have been a rematch from the previous WrestleMania. Uh, you, you, when you looked at the when you looked at the people in the tournament and you saw Steamboat and you saw Savage in the brackets, you know, instead of the one man gang going through or something like that, the Steamboat could have been there. Except yeah. Steamboat didn't lose. Or I think he lost that first match. Well, he didn't go. He was. He didn't make it past the first round, which was a joke. Because everybody was waiting for the Hogan Andre rematch, how cool would it would have been that you would have had the two biggest event like and you may, like looking back in hindsight before you you know you jumped on the Hogan Andre feud right in the middle, you know yeah. you, you didn't you didn't even see the tearing of the shirt the crucifix at that point like you know there was so much lore that you had you didn't know how deep this went so and I gotta tell you when the lead into that show. They were saying there was controversy to, to Mania 3. And the, the whole thing was the rematch at main event was because, you know, Andre had this pin on Hogan during the match. I hadn't seen the match, so I'm like, oh, well, maybe Andre legit has a case. Maybe this guy should be champion. It, you know what? He did have – well, Andre did do the, the – if you watch the match, Andre does kick out strong uh, yeah. of, the, of the three count, <laughs> you know, which is kind of funny. And uh, and and it's great, and like, you know, people, people often they talk about, you know, how Steamboat and Savage were better than. Okay, there's, I love the Steamboat Savage match for so many reasons. One of my favorite things is, whenever people uh, slam the Young Bucks for using mm. too many false finishes and too many two counts, um, I was like, there were seventeen two and a half counts. In a match that was 18 minutes long. Yeah. And I was like, and that match is considered one of the greatest matches in history of wrestling. So yeah. don't tell me you can't have you too many false finishes and too many two counts. Flair Steamboat in one of their Broadways did 55 false finishes. Exactly. Come on. Like, and then, and then, yeah. and then Bret Hart can turn out the perfect match. Without a false finish at all with Stone Cold Austin, oh. and, and you oh, know, we, could, we could talk about that all day. Well, that you know what? Oh, I, I okay. What I like to, I don't think Bret Hart gets enough credit, and I say because um, that match, uh, the Austin Bret Hart match, and I've talked about this on the show, and people probably get tired of me talking about it, but but the fact is, the key to that match working and not working is Bret Hart saying to Stone Cold before, we're going to have to cut you at some point in this match. Yes. Because if the, if, the, if the finish was to pass out because of a leg lock, that's not going to help Stone Cold's character. It's going to put him back at least a year because he passed out to a leg lock. Who, who does that? It doesn't make any sense. So that was the idea. But the fact that he bled out, that's that's yeah. beyond his control, and that's the best right. finish for the match. Like now, and then and then the WWE realized that, and they built an entire era on one picture of Stone yeah. Cold bleeding from that match, which was all Bret Hart that yeah. that thought of that and did it, and he doesn't get enough credit. For that match to do that, and Austin Austin wasn't going to cut himself. No, he didn't know how. No, exactly. And he said that. And, and uh, I watched 
I've watched that match probably not as much as you, but but quite a few times. I can't see it. I've heard the commentary where Austin says where he gets gigged. I can't see Brett do it. Yeah, you no, know, it's that good. It's uh, they they did a they did an episode on Stone Cold's podcast where Stone Cold and Brett commentated the match, and it's uh, Ooh. so it's the that's the best commentary to watch that match with. Like I, that, I'm obsessed with that match. I've, I, t- I, had Ken, Ken, I had Ken Shamrock in the show, and I was like, "Did you know the finish?" He did not know the finish. Uh, <laughs> his job was basically to be there as an outside ref because they knew they were going to brawl through the audience. So he was there to take out anybody that got past the security that was going to. St- yeah. So because like if you have security following them, it makes it look less authentic. But if it's Ken Shamrock, who I mean, you watch that, he's holding people back behind him, like as he's the security in that audience, and they knew nobody's gonna fuck with Ken Shamrock. He's a real deal. So uh, Ken Shamrock was there to protect them in the audience while they brawled through the audience, and uh, and when he puts Brad off off the end, that's real. He didn't know that the, the, the everything was going to happen. He wasn't privy to that information. So I love hearing that, that, like, when you hear something that, like, like something like that is kept, someone was kept in the dark during something during their match, like, I, okay, you're this is going to blow your mind. When I had Ricky Steamboat on the show, he told me that after he, after the match with Flair, when Flair won the title back, I think it's Starcade or maybe a Super Clash or, or Champions or whatever. But uh, the one with Terry Funk, oh, great! I think it was Great American Bash, uh, when Terry Funk was the referee. Uh, not the referee, the judge. The judge, yeah. Yes. So this is in 1988, and Ric Flair wins the belt back from Ricky Steamboat that night, and Terry Funk is one of the three judges. Now, um, Ricky Steamboat did not know about the double turn, that Flair was going to come out of that match as the face because Terry Funk was going to attack him, and then yeah. and then they were going. Ricky Steamboat thought he was going to give the belt up, and then he was going to be back on the chase, and they were just going to go longer and do another loop. He had no idea that Terry Funk was going to go in there, turn heel, uh, and, and pile... And, for 1988, a pile driver oh, yeah. through a table was unheard of. Yeah. So those tables had no gift. One of the best feuds, probably the decade. Yeah, but, but can you imagine the- if you're Steamboat and you, like, this guy already got, he got screwed on the IC title, but, hey, he yeah. wanted to go home with his and, and be a father. So, you know, that's 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 that was his choice. Um, yeah. to, you know, and then, and then to, uh, you know, just to think that, okay, well, it's going to be fine. I'm going to go and and wrestle for the you know this title with Flair, and then all of a sudden, just to have talk about Brett like scooping heat, like Terry Funk just took your spot. No, yeah. Flair took your spot, and Funk took Flair's, and yeah. now Steamboat's putting wrestling with that. wrestling with uh, with what's his name, um, the Dean Douglas. Uh, oh my God! Right? Yeah. No, that was a good match. So. <laughs> You know, but but anyway, um, yeah. So 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 the big event. I mean, the main event. Uh, that was like well, the highest grossing moment in NBC's history 
for wrestling, and like yeah. the ratings were through the roof. That night, I was I had a high school dance to go to in grade ten, and yeah. uh, I was like, I can't leave until after the Hogan match. So I left. Right. I I got that was at eight o'clock. So about nine o'clock or nine thirty, I finally got down to the dance, and yeah. then you know like. Hulk Hogan lost the belt. Well, it went all around the went all around the dance, like all the nerds. You, you are know? the dirt sheet. Right yeah. There. Oh yeah, yeah. There were no dirt sheets back then. There were like, there was no computers. You know, I was the dirt sheet. Yeah. I just, I just watched it, dude. You know. <laughs> so, oh my God, it's so good, so good. So, uh, so, so that, so, so that's when you got into it, and then, um, and then, and then, how long, like, did you? Were you a WWE guy or through the Attitude Era? Did you switch over or did you go to ECW and watch some of that? Like, what, 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 where did you, where did you continue your journey? Yeah, I, I kind of followed. I was the WWF guy right up until I think the first time I saw Clash of Champions. Oh. So it, it would have been probably, probably the next year, probably '89. Okay. Um, and I had seen because we had TBS, so I saw the odd time, but it was always oh, it's not WWF. Yeah. It wasn't that big a deal. And then I remember tuning to a Clash of Champions, um, and it was just markedly different wrestling. Yeah. Um, and I'll say it was better. It was much much better, realer, sloppier. Um, it looked like oh, this one, this one's legit. This isn't a show. This yeah. isn't a, a legion somewhere, and these guys are beating the hell out of each other for real. Um, and then it was it was both of those for years. Um, my probably my fondest memory around that time is Clash of Champions nineteen. And I don't know why it was it was a tag tournament of uh, all these sort of world tag teams, and it it was, and it was kind of pieced together. But it had the Canadian team of Chris Benoit and Biff Wellington. It had Jushin Liger was the first time I saw him, and sort of that was like, oh my god, there's not just these two places, but like there's wrestling all over the world. Yeah. So I started tape trading relatively soon, um, as soon as I could, and so I I followed those two. But I got into a little bit of ECW through tape trading at comic conventions mm -hmm. um, and then tape trading for Japan. And that was probably that was the biggest thing. Once I discovered all Japan. Yeah. Um, I just that American wrestling is great and I love it and I'll always kind of follow it and have a soft spot. Um, but all Japan is my all time wrestling. And once I discovered those tapes, it was sort of, well, I don't have access to it. Yeah. What? <laughs> Look at dude. It's the it's and and pants. Look at this. Look at that. Why aren't you wearing that all the time? I I wear my new Japan jacket on stage all the time. And you know what happens after every show? Wrestling geeks come up and talk to me yep. and then I give them my podcast, you know, like or wrestlers because they're like where did you get that? I'm yeah. like Japan. <laughs> <laughs> the only place you can. Yeah, I was like, I went to a New Japan show in Los Angeles. Uh, well, it was maybe two years ago now. It would no, it would have been last year, last last November, and um, oh, it was so great. Uh, but I wore the, <laughs> I was wearing the jacket. And uh, we went to a, a weed store across the street 
from the palace where they were wrestling in uh, downtown L.A. The Raptors were playing the Lakers that night, too, and the Raptors were defending champs. So there were a lot of Raptors jerseys around downtown, which was kind of cool. I was like, what's going on? Is, this oh, a pr- is someone pranking me? So so anyway, um, we go to this. We go to the New Japan show, but I'm at the weed place, and a guy goes, oh, you guys are running across the street tonight, eh? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, no, I got, I got this guy. And uh, and he gave me like a fifteen percent discount because I think he thought I was a young lion, but the oldest young lion that there ever was. <laughs> so yeah, you look like a young boy. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but I had the jacket on, and so then he gave me the discount. I was like, this is the best thing ever. But um, it's fantastic. I absolutely love it. So it was gifted to me by my friend Vince uh, Averill from We Watch Wrestling Podcast. And uh, it's, I, I love it. I love the Very jacket. Shit. So yeah. yeah, it's wicked. And I knew you'd, I knew you'd like it too. So that's yeah. awesome. Oh <laughs> but so there it, you go. But apparently, it's a, such a hassle to get. Like you have to, like you have to find someone Japanese to fill out all the forms for you, because <laughs> right. everything has to be in Japanese. So it's very difficult, and you need someone and someone honest too that's going to not screw you. But, right. uh, you know, so, like, when I, he's like, you know, try this on, see how it fits. I just, what is this? It's got Japanese writing all over. I'm like, please be a tracksuit. Please be a tracksuit, you know. I was like, yeah. So, but uh, it's the best. But, yeah, New Japan, there's nothing better. Um, you know, every year we cover the wrestling kingdom. That's what, that's what, that's what starts wrestling every year. Yeah. And they're going to, they ran it last year. I mean, they're, they're running shows through COVID. And doing a fine job, uh, so I would think that you want unbelievable for for this situation. Well, hey, the they, they got out of that. They've only they've only been wearing masks and social distancing as much as they could for for you know you can only social distance so much on an island, you know. Yeah. Uh, they're still gonna have people cramming people into <laughs> trains, yeah. uh, which is now they have people pulling people out. Too many, right. too many social distance. I now I'm doing Asian. I'm sorry about that to anyone who's Asian. I did not mean to social distance. I didn't mean to do that. Anyways, uh, but I did it, <laughs> and it's done. And I'm sorry. Um, so, so, so yeah, New Japan definitely the best wrestling. Uh, the climax every summer is uh, is the greatest wrestling tournament, the longest wrestling tournament. But the greatest wrestling tournament. Can you imagine if WWE committed to that? Or like, how? Like, like there, there has to be. I like it when, when wrestling federations identify other federations' belts. Like you know, in boxing, Tyson got to be uh, WBF, WBC, WBW, or he got to hide, to hold three titles at once. And they all recognized each other. Uh, yeah. I look at. I like that. I like that when Ric Flair brought the belt over, they recognized his title. And I often wonder why Ric Flair always got so much respect from Vince McMahon, whereas Dusty Rhodes never got any respect from Vince McMahon. Like uh, somebody said, this I don't know. Um, I watch so much YouTube wrestling clips. That that I just I don't even know why. Anyways, I got I got caught up in a shoot interview with um, 
with one man gang, and a uh, one man, and, and I'm waiting, and I'm getting frustrated because I'm like, ask the question, like, because the question to me you ask him is, so at what point did you realize that turning you into the African dream and getting you to dance like a black man and getting you to talk jive was a knock at Dusty. At yeah. what point did you realize that? Like that that whole character is making fun of Dusty Rhodes. And he never asked it. And then in the comments, somebody's like, Dusty was the first, Akeem was the second. I'm like, no, no, Dusty is the only and Akeem was meant to make fun and degrade Dusty Rhodes. It's just a joke. It's the same way as like when he got Dusty Rhodes and he put him in polka dots. And then he got over and like, okay, well, let's give him Sapphire as a valet. Right. And he got over with that. Right. You know? And then they're like, okay, but they didn't realize how talented his family is. So then they bring in Dustin Rhodes and they make him a transvestite man that nobody's going to like. And they name him Gold Dust. Based, yeah. Again, not making fun of Dusty. And look what we're doing to your kid who's supposed to be the natural. And this is the most unnatural thing. But it's not. Not today. It's very natural, but you know, and Dust and then Dustin makes it work, and then he does it with Cody and makes him stardust. You know, like where does it end? You know, like and, but yet Ric Flair can use that company like an ATM and walk in, like walk in with the title, and it's just like, you know, you what you did with Medusa from holding her out of the Hall of Fame for so long, for doing just business is is dumb when you did the same thing you stole rick flair you you got them to bring that belt up to you you know so if it's if if it's if you do unto others as they do unto you is that something is that a real saying i don't know not not with vince not with vince mcmahon but it's crazy um vince mcmahon's right hand man uh pat patterson uh unfortunately uh passed away um, what are your favorite Pat Patterson moments? Do you have any? Oh God! If I had to pick one, it's it's. I feel bad because it's so late in his career. But um, over the edge '98, there was uh, uh, Steve Austin against Dude Love, and this is probably my favorite um, WWF WWE match ever. Um, and it's it starts off. It's his big main event. And Vince McMahon comes out with uh, with the Stooges, Briscoe and Patterson. And Patterson is the special guest ring announcer. And he spends 10 minutes just taking down Steve Austin, introducing the corporation, just being absolutely hilarious. The, like, the best heel. And I remember watching it, and I'm like, this guy's having so much damn fun. We were having fun watching him. He was having fun watching it. It was one of the pay-per-views my friends and I were, were, were watching. And his facials the whole match were awesome. And I remember at the end being like, okay, this guy's great. He's doing the show for me. And then he takes a choke slam from The Undertaker, which to this day is the best choke slam I've ever seen. And Pat Patterson goes up. He kicks his legs out like he's Luigi. And just he's midair, highest one right through a table. And in a match with Undertaker, Vince McMahon, Stone Cold, Dude Love, that's the guy I remember. And it's my favorite match, huge part, because he made it so much just fun. It's All a, the other stuff aside. 
It's amazing the bumps that Pat Patterson and Mae Young used to take at their age, at that point in their careers. Uh, Pat Patterson's resurgence in the Attitude Era as one of the Stooges was one of the best things ever, and it made him, it brought him front and center from behind the stage. It put him in the eyes of the viewer, and it showed them that he still had a lot of talent to give to the WWE and perform, and... um, the Stooges, as much as they were degraded, they were entertaining, and uh, and Pat Patterson even got a run as the twenty four seven champion uh, when he was in his uh, late sixties. So you know that is something to say. He's the first Intercontinental Champion. Uh, was he won the title in a tournament um, that that actually the, the speculation is the tournament never happened. <laughs> It was somewhere in Mexico. The place might be made up because Tecula, Mexico is not a place, and that's where Tito Santana's from, and that's not even a place. Uh, yeah. And, you know, so they just make, they're just like, we'll just say you won it in this place and nobody will. But so he did win it, or he was given it, and he was the first Intercontinental Champion. Uh, great tag team with Pat Patterson, uh, Pat Patterson and uh, Ray Lewis. Uh, Ray Stevens. Ray Stevens, sorry, uh, Ray Stevens. Bombers. They were they were fantastic. They had a great run. Uh, the Royal Rumble goes on to be my favorite pay per view and match every year. Uh, it's always entertaining. But I think what I like, or what my favorite Pat Patterson moment is, um, in Beyond, uh, or sorry, uh, Wrestling with Shadows, Bret Hart's documentary. They they show they take you backstage and they they have a part with Pat Patterson and they show you how important Pat Patterson is as he's Vince's right hand man and he does a lot of the booking and comes up with a lot of the finishes to a lot of the matches. So he will sit there and he will go. So basically, the scene is in in Wrestling with Shadows, the Bret Hart documentary, is they're showing the Calgary Stampede match, and they're with they're with Pat back in the dressing room. And he's saying how he sees how the match will go. And he's talking it out with Brett. But as they're talking, they show the match. And you hear their voiceover. And as they're saying it, it's happening in the ring. And it's showing you how it goes from his mind to their ears to in the ring to us, the people. The process. And... That might be the first time you've ever seen anything like that. But, you know, Pat Patterson's so great because, like, when Owen gets the pin, he's like, and then Owen, that dirty bugger, he gets in there. One, two, three. Ah, the Stone Cold is the man. And, and Owen, the bugger, wins. You know, and, there, there's, and there's a part where. so animated. Yeah, and there's a part where Brett goes, if we could even get Stu involved and uh, Stu would love that. Yeah, yeah, we'll get get all the all the brothers involved, you know, like in the ruckus and everything. And if you haven't seen the Calgary Stampede match, it's probably one of my favorite pay-per-views, four matches. The pay-per-view is great. The match, it's the only time you see cameras shaking as as the they're panning in because the saddle dome is shaking because the noise is incredible 
crowd crowd response is a huge part i think it's a huge part of wrestling for everyone but for me rating a match is just such a fundamental part and that was a very very good match it became an all-time match because of that crowd oh they were so behind the hearts so behind the hearts they could do no wrong and then because the hearts are so good like you know like look at the guys they're wrestling Ken Shamrock, who Ken Shamrock does not get enough credit. <laughs> I was, I know people don't, that's something you don't hear, but why is he not in the Hall of Fame? I do not know why. Um, you know, like he, his, by him coming and crossing over to the WWE, there was no tapping out before Ken Shamrock came over. Right. There was no uh, wrestling gloves the way Ken Shamrock, the Undertaker wore Ken Shamrock gloves for half of his career after Shamrock came, you know, like there nobody wore UFC gloves in the WWE ring. Ken Shamrock was the guy. Ken Shamrock was the guy to bring that whole UFC fighting style to the WWE that guys like Matt Riddle uh, and and Brock Lesnar and Ronda Rousey were so privy to use uh, time and time again. He's like the proto Lesnar and he had charisma. Shamrock could talk. He had a massive presence. I, I agree. I think they dropped the ball with him. Well, you um, know, what happened was, I'll tell you when, when the ball dropped. <laughs> the second the second night, okay, so the Montreal screw job happened, and yeah. uh, and, and, and and Ken was a, a heart guy because he was trained by Brett uh, in a, in a, like with Edge and Christian and a bunch of other ones. So when, oh, yeah. when Brett got screwed, all these Brett guys that they that like Mark Henry, Edge, they all trained at Brett's house for free. Brett trained them for free while he was off. Nobody ever gives them credit for that. Like the stuff that he used to do like that for Vince. Come on. So anyway, the um, Ken Shamrock was trained uh, by Brett, and uh, and uh, and where am I going with this? Um, damn it. Screw job. Oh, the screw job. Yeah, so two nights. Okay, so the night after the screw job, they went in Ottawa. Uh, the DX music is used for the first time ever, um, and uh, and and most of the wrestlers boycotted the show. Uh, half of them went home, and half of them were there drinking. And Vince McMahon was still in the hospital in Montreal. Uh, so so that's what I knew about that night. I was out there that night, and then the next night was the taping in Cornwall. And the next night, the taping in Cornwall, which I was also at, was the night Rick Rude was on was on Nitro. And Raw because Raw was taped, so Nitro was live. So that night, Ken Shamrock got a promo in the middle of the ring with Jim Ross. I think it was with Jim Ross. Maybe it was with Lawler, and uh, it didn't go good. It was the worst prom. It was the worst interview and promo I'd ever saw. They were positioning him to be to take move into Brett's spot, which is weird because the obvious choice is to move Owen into that spot. But anyway, they were for the time being. They were trying to move Shamrock in, and he it was just he couldn't cut a promo in a lengthy fashion, and it was too yeah. much, too fast, too quick. The promo never made air, and uh, and and he didn't really get the 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 push push, you know that 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 he was deserved at that time. And I think it was much because of that promo, and then you know whatever else uh, maybe who knows. So Pat Patterson. That match, Stampede match, uh, that scene is fantastic. So I love him for that. Uh, Legends House is great. 
Uh, the Royal Rumble is great. Um, I have Best of WWE Volume 1 through 17 in the bubble cases oh, on VHS. So yeah. uh, there are many Pat Patterson matches in those first three volumes. And, uh, the slaughter match. The slaughter. Oh, the boot. Oh, holy, we didn't even talk about the boot camp matches the, with slaughter and, uh, and how bloody and how that feud was so great. And yeah. that was a main event feud before Hogan was in the WWE. You know, Sergeant Slaughter was a main event draw. And that Pat Patterson Slaughter feud was fantastic and, uh, and, and just amazing. And if you have to see one Pat Patterson match, I would suggest uh, going to YouTube and bringing up one of those Slaughter uh, Patterson matches. And just see the, you know, you, if you like Ric Flair getting bloody, you'll love Pat Patterson getting bloody. The blonde hair, the spiked, you know, a lot of what Flair was doing, Patterson was doing as well. And uh, and just doing it the way he does it. Um, he could take a hell of a beating. He could great, take a hell of a beating. Great uh, at that. So, a um, couple years ago, we're going we're gonna to get ready to wind down here. So, I'm just going to end on this story. And then we're going to play a clip. Uh, I'll let you go, and then I'll play a clip, but it'll end on a clip. But uh, so a couple of years ago, SummerSlam's in town, and um, I was lucky enough to be added uh, onto this show, uh, the Dolph Ziggler comedy tour, and um, and so I was on the show, and I was given the first spot, you know, which is, hey, if we're booking it like a card, like a re- like a wrestling show, I'm I'm honored. I don't mind taking the bullet. I'm honored yeah. to be in the first match. I'll Shawn Michaels, Tito Santana, you know, <laughs> uh, I'll do that. So um, it's so sad that Tito's in the first match at WrestleMania and Tito's in the first match at WrestleMania 7, you know. <laughs> I was just like, come on, Tito. I was like, you really know how important Rick Martel was now to Strike Force. Um, oh, jeez, taking it right in there. I'm a big Martel guy. Anyways, I I gotta tell you, we're gonna we're gonna clash on that one between the two of them. I sided hard with Tito. Most people, like, Tito, most Tito's people, got the work rate and the charisma. Martel, I don't know what's he have the world titles. So <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, the AWA world title, and like then, the prestige, and people people will laugh at the prestige then. But no, uh, there's I'm like, so why is it not prestigious when he has it, but when he loses it to Stan Hansen, the prestige comes back. No, yes. no. Because Stan Hansen took it to Japan. Because he took it to fucking Japan. Martel won yeah, the right. title. Martel won the title in Japan. He beat Jumbo Tustra in Japan, and then he went out. He would lose it to Stan Hansen, who would bring it back to Japan, and would yeah. really piss off uh, Blan- uh, uh, Vern and Stanley Blanchard, who was the uh, Tully Blanchard's dad was like the the president of AWA at the time, and then Vern owned it, but that really pissed them off. But anyways, I'm just... Look, it's only because Ho- that poster, Hogan, Flair, and they put Martel down here, and it's like the three world champions, and it's like, no, don't... Look it, when Hogan... <laughs> wait, this doesn't even make sense, because Hogan, for, when Martel, like Martel was champ, like... They were in. They were in the AWA together. You know what I mean. Like right. Hogan left. Martel stayed and became champ. You know. Well, Hogan was destined to become champ. But you know, either way. 
But I'm just try- I always try to make the case for Martel, yeah. and uh, no. Uh, He's Canadian. We have to. Of course, I have to. I grew up watching uh, Montreal wrestling on like oh, in wow. Ottawa. So so like every day, every before WWE was on at noon, uh, at eleven on the French Channel, I could watch the French version of La Lutte Internationale, which is international wrestling, and then I would watch it at three o'clock in the English version, and you would watch guys like. Uh, uh, Gino Brito, Dino Bravo, Rick Martel, uh, Tom Zink, Dan Crawford, uh, who was Doug Furness, um, yeah. uh, Phil Lafon was there, uh, King Tonga, who was Haku, uh, Rikishi also started there, uh, the great wow. Samu also started up there, uh, D- Dr. Death, Steve DeSalvo, uh, Dr. Death, uh, I mean, um, Dr. like the What's his name? Um, oh, blonde hair, crazy. They did a Beyond. Oh, Schultz. Yeah, Doctor Death. Doctor D. David Schultz. He was yeah. up there. Um, Rick Martel. I saw. already said him. Dino Bravo said him. Frenchie Martin. The Rougeos. Like they, they, this, they, they. Oh, and the Road Warriors would come up, and they were oh, affiliated man. with AWA. So the Road Warriors would come up. Uh, the Long Riders would come up. Um, there was just a stack. Like it was. That's. The wrestling that I watched, sidebar from WWE, like glossy, shiny, uh, yeah. smoke-filled uh, bingo hall, you know. And Furnace and Lafon are one of my all-time favorite teams. Absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. So they don't get enough respect. They don't get enough respect. They, they're, 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 they're stampede. They are they Montreal to Calgary to Japan. You know, yeah. like. I watched them in Calgary. I watched them in Montreal. I didn't watch them in Japan, but I know how well they did. You know, um, so yeah. They, they have a match against Kobashi. It's my all-time favorite match, and I, that's one of the ones that got me in. Who? Okay, um, I know we're talking about Patterson. We're going a little bit over uh, overtime right now. Uh, so the story goes. First of all, I want to know who's your favorite uh, Japanese wrestler? Uh, Mitsuhara Mazawa. Okay, that's that's okay. That's a. I am I'm uh, I like uh I'm a I'm a I'm a Tanahashi guy myself. Okay. I love I love Ace. It rhymes with case. I love playing air guitar. Uh <laughs> you know, like like when I got a picture with him, I was like I was like uh you know, can we do air guitars together? So we're fucking doing air guitars together. Uh is great. And nobody was getting pictures with the Japanese wrestlers. Like it was crazy. It was like the uh, this was at a uh, War of the Worlds, Ring of Honor, and New Japan, and the Young Bucks line was insane because it was Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, because Omega couldn't work in the states, but he could work in Canada because he's Canadian. So yeah. so was the, so you had the elite. Poor Hangman Page is off to the side. Nobody cares. Uh, <laughs> nobody cares about Christopher Daniels and uh, and and you know and then there and SCU. Um, but the Japanese wrestlers, I'm like, there was like Kushida, uh, Naito, uh, um, uh, Tanahashi. Uh, I think those were the big three that were there. Um, yeah. And then you had like, uh, Gato and, uh, and, um, well, the, the Les Incredible, I can never fucking say that faction incredible what are they the, all of those cinco navras them yeah. their faction like they were all there so uh but yeah it is great okay now 
aside from that, I when I was working that show, the DZ Comedy Show, uh, I was told these wrestlers were going to show up, and it's very hush hush. And I t- I was told that Kofi Kingston was going to pop by. I was told Kevin Owens was going to pop by. I was told that Edge and Christian might drop by. So immediately, I'm like getting all my cards ready because I'm going to get autographed. I want to get all these cards autographed. And uh, I brought down other cards too, just in case. But um, who ended showing up was Finn Balor, which I was not prepared for. Um, uh, Finn Balor showed up. Uh, Hawk, uh, Hawkins and uh, Zack Ryder showed up. Um, uh, Tyson Kidd showed up. And uh, Pat Patterson showed up. And Pat Patterson was promised that he was going to be able to sing out this, like, to sing a song after after Dolph. So uh, so Pat Patterson was going to close the show. And, uh, you know, like, I'm in a green room. Dolph is right there. The, uh, Hawkins and Ryder are there. I'm not even starstruck by any of those guys, but I'm nervous to, to go ask Pat if I can get a picture with him. And yeah. I walk up, I'm like, oh, Mr. Patterson, uh, can I get a picture with you, please? Uh, I'm from Ottawa, and I, it'd be an honor to get a picture with such a great one of Quebec's. I, I turn into Farley in these moments. I'm yeah. like, you know, one of Quebec's greatest, well, not Quebec, but like internationally, you know, but also Quebec and yeah. You know, Quebec, because Quebec has a rich history of wrestling. You stand, everybody talks Stampede. Nobody talks about Quebec wrestling. Uh, rich history. And uh, and so anyway, I, I get the picture with him. I'm very happy. And uh, that was the happiest picture maybe I got besides the one with Dolph. But, yeah. And Renee uh, also was there. And, you know, and yeah. uh, so anyways, uh, Dolph, um, at the end of his show, he brought on Pat Patterson. And Pat Patterson sang "My Way," which was yeah. uh, one of his um, go-to karaoke songs. So, um, with that said, uh, we're going to say goodbye, and uh, we're going to uh, play it out and uh, listen to Pat Patterson sing "My Way" from the Dolph Ziggler uh, comedy show in Toronto from SummerSlam uh, two years ago. So, uh, hey, Jordan, where can we? F- well. I was like, where can we find you performing? Um, I did a I I did a corporate this afternoon that was horrible. Uh, oh. <laughs> so uh, where can we find you uh, online? Uh, I'm afraid I have very little online presence at the moment, but uh, yeah, I'll be around once the world opens up back in. You'll see me. Well, you know what? You can find you can find Jordan tomorrow on Never Sleeps Network, talking wrestling. That's where he'll be right here. Yeah. And uh, and you know what? Um, I'm thinking about bringing in like a panel for Wrestle Kingdom this year. So I think uh, we're going to be talking in the new year. So because uh, I think that's a good idea, and uh, and it must be done. So um, so with that said, thank you for letting us uh, put a headlock on your ears. And until then, till next time, uh, stay safe and stay at home and stay hungry. And, uh, yeah, and uh, just be cool. All right. Talk to you later, and goodbye, and enjoy Pat Patterson uh, singing us out. WWE Hall of Famer Pat Patterson. (laughs) I think you could maybe 
this fight I'm having between my, my friends here, maybe there's a way we could all come together here.
Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. 